Are you a founder, co-founder, aspiring entrepreneur, or just someone who loves to hear about how companies are built? Then join us as we talk with founders and CEOs who have been there and done that. Welcome to the Founders Formula Podcast, sponsored by Hatchet Ventures. And now, your host, Chet Lovegren. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Founders Formula Podcast, sponsored by our founding sponsor in the podcast space, Hatchet Ventures. I'm incredibly thrilled for today's episode. As you know, I'm your host, Chet Lovegren, and I have a very special guest with us today. She is a three-time C-suite executive, or as I say, a C-suite aficionado. Um, she's also one of the advisors here at Hatchet, who works with our portfolio companies and Hatchet members, um, and also an ambassador, instructor, dean, and CRO channel leader at Pavilion. She basically does it all. You know her. You love her. You've probably seen her on LinkedIn. Welcome to the show, Stephanie Valenti. Stephanie, how you doing? Jeez, Chet. Like, wow, what a what a uh, confidence builder you are. Look at that intro. I'm doing great. Thanks for all of that. Uh, really happy to be here and talk to everybody today uh, about the super hot topic. Can't wait. Yeah, we did a little we did a little brainstorming beforehand um, because, as you know, sometimes we have uh, founders on the show. Sometimes we have people in our advisor network. And so when we tend to have advisors on, we want to learn a little bit about their story and their background. Um, but we also want to get a lot of that tactical information that they share with other founders that help them succeed and help them build the businesses that they have. So uh, I'm really excited to learn from you today, Stephanie, as I know our audiences as well. But before we dive in, um, you know, I, I know a little bit about your journey because I've heard you on some other podcasts before. Um, but for those who haven't, let's dive a little bit into your journey, talk about how you got into sales and then what got you up to the point of being a CRO at Smartbug Media. Yeah, absolutely. So um, like everybody, I don't think anyone grew up saying, oh, I want to be in sales when I grow up, right? When they're a little kid. And so um, I didn't either, right? And I, I had a very interesting journey. I found myself in restaurant, um, worked my way up. I always wanted that next thing and um, got to be in a management role and even corporate office and restaurant. And someone looked at me because I was always like, getting that next thing and wanting that next challenge. And they're like, Stephanie, you need to get into sales. And so, so that was the end of it, right? That took me out of um, more of that hospitality world and put me into sales. I started my sales, uh, sales career with Staples Business Advantage on the B2B side, who was pretty much selling like door-to-door uh, business contracts for all supplies. So procurement. Um, and I fell in love, right? I realized, oh, the more I work, like the more I get paid and I get accolades for that. Oh, I'm in, I'm into this. right? And I had great success. I had great leaders along the way. I was with Staples for about eight years and got my first leadership opportunity about a year and a half in. Uh, and so was a sales manager, got to turn around a, a really struggling team, then got to create new teams, then got to go over on the account management side. So led that, and then had the opportunity to go into enterprise where I was leading like $12 million projects and the operational function, which really gave me the opportunity to use my old restaurant skills in a revenue impacting world. So that was fun. Um, had a call from a recruiter, wasn't planning on leaving, uh, but they said, hey, you've got to meet this company. They're established, they're e-com, they want to go B2B uh, and they need a leader to come drive them 
there and take them there. And so that was my first executive position um, after eight years in more of a Fortune 100, got to come into mid-market and be the senior vice president of global sales. Um, I learned the bulk of everything that you need to know um, by doing all of the wrong things in that role. So <laughs> I had some really great success, but I made a whole lot of mistakes and got to learn from them. And so I was with that company for about three years. Um, it was omni-channel. It was awesome. We ended with about 200 sales reps. Um, I was leading VPs that were leading directors that were leading sales reps. It was inside, outside, um, you know, inbound, outbound, you name it. it was awesome. So did that um, and then was ready for a change and a friend needed help during a COVID boom. And so they were 5 million. They went to 25 million overnight. And they're like, Steph, you're just a experienced operational leader. Will you come be our COO? And so I grew, I took off my revenue hat, put on an operations hat and ran an operations manufacturing um, company. So all of the like warehouse, labor, um, logistics, HR, finance, um, and then and then just, you know, total organizational structure. So lose way more or learned way more about the financial side of the business, which was a lacking for me in my prior role. So really just built that muscle. Um, but I did that for about a year and a half and I went to the CEO and I'm like, look, I'm a little bored, right? Like I fixed everything. Do you want me to go redo our SKU set in NetSuite? Because that would like, we need to, and it would give us something to do. And he's like, oh my gosh, Stephanie, no. And I'm like, I probably need to go find my next thing. So, um, so that was the right decision. I found SmartBug. Uh, they were looking for a CRO. They were in hyper growth. They needed operational support. So all of their delivery teams, um, sales and marketing. And so it was really an opportunity to get, put my revenue hat back on and run multiple departments, but still flex that operational um, muscle that I had. And so that's what I'm doing today. Um, SmartBug helps businesses grow better, right? So they're an agency. It was my first time ever being a part and, and is my first time being a part of the services organization. Um, but from product and manufacturing and all of these things coming together, um, it's been it's been a real fun ride. So that's what I'm doing um, today. So from public to bootstrapped to PE, I've seen a little bit of everything um, in my experience in sales and operations. I think what's really unique about your experience too is I am a firm believer and I will take this to my grave that if you want to be the best sales leader possible, if you are going to have a revenue related metric that you're measured on, compensated on, bonused on, whatever you want to call it, you have to, in some form or fashion, spend time in operations, whether totally. it's working at a startup as a VP of sales and you're basically owning RevOps at that point until you have the money to bring someone else on, or your experience actually going and being a chief operations officer and seeing that function because um, you're a steward of capital at that level when, when you're yeah. running a revenue team to that extent. And if you don't understand outside of the math, the devil in the details, how to use the tech stack, how to get the right reports, you're just driving blind. And I, I remember somebody once that I was working with saying, I don't bother, I don't bother learning HubSpot. I focus on the sales stuff. I let I leave that up to the oh. experts. And I said, that's like a that's like a contractor saying, I don't really know how to use a nail gun. I just let the workers do that. But if you're not the expert in the things that you need to be able to scope 
what's being done, then how can you fact check or where's your BS meter, you know? Um, so totally. I love that you have that in your background. It's also incredibly uh, crazy how similar our backgrounds are. Um, I was in the same way, food service, moved into outside sales, moved into logistics. And then, you know, then I jumped into the software world. But I think that's so crazy that there are like three of those key things, <laughs> the logistics, the food service, outside sales. So I'm, I'm personally like super excited to learn uh, today because I think this is all going to really uh, ring true to me because I understand, I understand those that especially that outside sales grind. That's something else yeah. that's not <laughs> super complicated. Um, so we talked a little bit before today's episode and planning and we decided that we were going to talk about one of the big things uh, that you're really passionate about that you can help not only founders that are early stage right now, but also probably founders that have grown uh, and, and are in a position where they're like, wow, it's kind of a mess. Uh, we've been working really crazy. Our room's really dirty. We need to clean it up. We got to do a, sat a Sunday reset, get the house clean. And so today we're really going to dive into the three core mistakes that founders make going from 1 million to 10 million. So Stephanie, I'm going to turn it over to you. What are those three mistakes? And then I'll let you dive into the very first one and we'll start learning from you. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thanks. So I, for the record, there probably are more than three, right? But we've got to, we've got to pay attention to our time here today. So we're going to focus on these core big ones. Um, and, and here are the three that ring true for me and all the organizations that I've come in and I've had to evaluate the state of the state. There was hyper growth and then they need someone to come in and clean a little bit. So how do we get you away from the cleaning need and go all the way backwards to do it right from the start? So the first thing is you're building for people instead of business needs. So we'll talk more about that. The second one is process documentation. They don't do it, right? So how do we'll talk about that one too. And then ideation versus execution without killing the creativity that's needed from a founder. So those are the three things that I see really get messy as a company is growing. Um, and if we dive right into the first one, right? If we look at that first one, um, I, I always think about an organization like this. You have to build a structure to operate the business. What is the business need to get the job done? And then you say, okay, what, what core attributes, talents, abilities are needed to fulfill those jobs. Then you put those people in those spots, and then you build a process to support that structure, that person, etc. What happens and what I've seen is as you're getting ready and you're, you're hiring your first person, you're looking for that unicorn that can do just about anything and get ready. And then as they're with the organization, you allow them to grow, whether you're developing them for a leader or not. And they've all of a sudden become, let's say your VP of sales. At first they started out as marketing up sales. They were kind of doing everything. They were your right hand man, but now they're your VP of sales, but they've never been a VP of sales before. And they, you don't trust them to lead people. So they're an individual contributor, VP of sales. And now all of a sudden you're 15 million and you're like, oh, I need a real VP of sales, <laughs> right? Like I need someone that can take all of this. Let's make them into a VP of channel because we like them. They have all this institutional knowledge, but they can't do the role I need them to do, but we don't want them to go anywhere. So we're going to create this new role for them. It happens not just with one person, but with a lot of people. And so if you can think forward, so think forward on at 5 million, our structure is going to look like this. 
the 10 million, our structure is going to look like this and deliberately build a structure that can scale, scale with you while mitigating change in hierarchy, then you can, you can counteract that proactively opposed to all of a sudden being at 11, 12, 15 million and saying, oh, our structure's all wrong and we need to do a complete reorg and the people are wrong or we've got to move this or we're going to lose this inerrant knowledge. So the proactive organizational structural planning and people is so, so important and people do not think about it when they're in hyper growth. They say, I'll deal with it later. So you're saying a lot of times you see somebody going, it's it's like the Band-Aid theory, right? Okay, I hurt myself. Yes. Well, I don't I don't want to go to the doctor just yet. I got a lot of stuff I got to get done. So they slap a Band-Aid on it. You're saying it's almost the same thing um, in these companies is, okay, I'm at 500,000. I'm going to go hire a head of sales or a VP of sales or, you know, my, yeah. my sales go-to person. And I'm thinking about now, what can that person get done instead of thinking about what is it going to look like? when we're at 5 million and we have more AEs and this person isn't an individual contributor and they have to lead people and they have to train and coach people. They're also probably doing some rev ups on their own, but instead people are just looking at the now they're not making that plan. Um, yep. I'm, I'm curious to hear from you. That's an interesting concept because obviously like business needs do change over time, but yeah. also like uh, plans were made to be broken. Right. <laughs> so I know it's like yeah. how far, how far into the future do you look at that structure? and that support that's needed without wasting too much time doing all that just for things to change later on because your plans adjust. Like what's a good rule of thumb for how far out I should be looking at my organizational structure and, and the support that I'm going to need to that business. Yeah. Look, I personally believe that in a business plan, which is considered five years, right? A forecast or an annual plan is one, a business plan is five. And in a business plan, you should really be looking at the structure of your business and a business plan should be reevaluated every year. Now, if you build a structure right, then you should never have to do gross changes to the actual foundational structure in place. And so like another example that I see all the time, Chet, is, hey, this is a stronger leader. So let's just give them this department. Does that actually make like business sense, or are you just like band-aid analogy, right? Are you putting a band-aid on this person because they don't actually have the, the skill set that you need um, to just keep them in place? Is that the right thing for the business? Now, some people are be like, oh, Stephanie, you're so cold hearted. And it's like, no, no, like long-term, when you're putting band-aids on something, it eventually breaks open anyway. So like try to make the right decisions early on so you don't end up in a uh, gushing wound. <laughs> yeah. And well, optically, it doesn't look good either if someone's role is changing within the company every six to eight months. And yeah. it's just human nature that in this work from home environment, there's going to be a lot of back talk and backroom chatter and stuff. And it's kind of like, okay, are we just keeping the person around or are they actually accomplishing something here? And especially if that person's in a leadership role, then you're just kind of I would say like demeaning their authority possibly because like, oh, this person yeah. doesn't really have any reason to be here. They're just here because we like the person and they have a skill set that was once valuable, but doesn't actually fulfill a business need. So I think that's, totally. that's a really good concept that you bring up. I've experienced a similar thing where there's somebody I really want to bring into my business, but what he wants to do in his career doesn't align with anything I need. And I'm like, well, maybe I can yeah. move him into this thing with like social media management. And I'm like, but that's just like, 
Yeah. He's never worked in social media management before. He wants to be an operations and data analyst. I don't really need that, but there's like an analyze analyst position type thing you can do with social media, but it's like, Chet, you're just trying to hire somebody that you really like, you know what I mean? Yep. Like leave yep. him, leave him out of it, let him go do his thing. And then maybe someday you'll be big enough where you do need to bring somebody totally. in just to look at numbers all day long in, in different forms and fashions, but you know, focus totally. on the people that have the skill set that you need. So social yep. media, pursue social media specific people, not someone you just like you think could do the job. So that's important. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It even goes back to like basic, like organizational design methodology that you learn, like going through an MBA. It's, it's, you get the boxes with the titles, then you put the people in, right? Like that's what you're supposed to do, but we love, we're human focused, right? And centric. So we want to say like, here are our people and let's put their titles underneath. And that's just not generally what the business needs. So I always encourage people to do that exercise um, on an annual basis. I love it. Let's move into the second uh, core mistake. Um, as you called out at the beginning of the of the yeah. segment, there's probably a million of these mistakes, but we're focusing on three really big ones today. Um, uh, for more of those mistakes, join CRO School uh, with us at <laughs> yeah. Pavilion. The, Stephanie will be teaching that. Um, so you said not documented processes early and often. I think before the show, you kind of said everything just lives in the founder's head. That's kind of the source of <laughs> yeah. knowledge. So let's let's dig into that a little bit more. Yeah. How many times have you heard that, right? Like, oh, it's all up here. I've got it. Or the individual department heads. Will we know what to do? We're small enough. We're only five people. Uh, we, we can all get in a room and collaborate if we want to change something. Um, what happens is let's say those five people have it all up here. And all of a sudden you go through a hyper growth that was unexpected. You hire 10 to 20 more people to be able to actually produce the product or service. And now those processes that live up here, how are you training your people? What happens if one of those department heads or five people leaves, then somebody has to spend hours and hours and hours understanding that business. Document early, document often. And it may seem silly and it may seem like a waste of time, but I assure you, it's almost like if you're going to fly a plane, you need an operating manual on how to do that. You need a manual on how to run your business. It's your playbook, right? It's your business playbook. And so as you go in and, and founders are, I love you founders, but you're the worst at this, right? Because you always have a million ideas in your head and you know how it's done. Try to get that on paper. And with the help of AI right now, it should make it even easier, right? Go put the bullets and steps and let it build out that process document for you um, so that you have it written down. And when you make a change, you bring the team in and you do it as a team. Um, it's a very easy, easy thing to do, but it is so often overlooked. What is the best way to house all that collateral? I mean, it could be as simple as using Google Drive, which I think a lot of companies do, but do you have any tips or tricks on like things that people aren't thinking about where you're like, it's actually pretty easy to integrate it into this Slack channel. Maybe you have like a, a Slack channel for your business. That's a Q and a section that has a bunch of pin notes about relevant things or like what's, what's, what's a best practice workflow that you typically like to use in order to make this collateral more effective, but also more accessible yeah. than everybody just asking everybody, Oh, well, where is it? Cause we all know that happens too. Even when you document it, then everybody's like, Oh, where's the, where's the SDR op qualification criteria document? Where does that live? Well, there's this folder on the massive Google drive called SDR yeah. and that's the whole department, you know? So like what, what's your recommendation there? How would you advise? 
Yeah. Yeah. So it depends on the department overall, like sales. Um, I want sales uh, living in their CRM. And so I, I prefer to put a lot of processes actually in the CRM so that that's the only place they ever live um, to both gather information, um, but also do their everyday work. Now for a greater organization, an actual organizational process or operational process, et cetera, um, we use Tetra at, at SmartBug. It's a collaborative tool. Um, you can search there's libraries for process and you can look them up. You can highlight something and say like, hey, we actually need a change here and the owner of the document can be pinged. So we, I like that a lot. It's the first company that I have been with that uses something like that. Um, I've seen um, a lot of different share drives and those opportunities be used. But Chet, to your point, it does get messy. But for for startups and people just getting started, Google Drive's okay, right? Like it's 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 less for everybody else and more for the core of the organization to just understand even how has the company evolved, right? Like here was our process when we got started and guys, look at it today. Look how look how advanced we've become. Look at this journey, right? Like even that is a really fun part of your story and if it's all in your head, um, no one else can tell that story but you. So it's, yes, it's it's to drive the operation, but it's also like for documentation of your journey. Yeah. Above and beyond that, even things like marketing materials. Yes. Um, we just we just finished uh, locking down our two new sponsors for the sales podcast that I run. And one company, I was like, yeah, get me, get me like your brand book and all this stuff. And they just sent me like their company PNG, like one horizontal PNG. I'm like, don't you have one to just the logo? Don't you have a stacked one? Don't you have a brand book with your color guide and your font guide that I can use when we put you on marketing materials and all this stuff? And it was just like, yeah. no, that's all we have. I'm like, you guys just raised like $6 million. How do you not have any of that stuff? You know what, what's your marketing team doing? Cause I don't see on LinkedIn yeah. either. I don't see you doing paid ads, but then the other company's like, Oh yeah, here's all this stuff. Like they gave me like this email with yeah. all these Google drive links and like some other stuff that they have on like, uh, it was not Dropbox. I can't recall, but it was like another like download yeah. file share system. And I was like, okay, yeah. I got everything and anything I could possibly need for any marketing materials. And I want to, I want to kind of just not necessarily piggyback because I don't have any advice on what, what you were just giving because that was great stuff. But just another scenario you called out was what if that person, that department head of five people leaves and how many founders or entrepreneurs or even C-level execs that are listening to this can recall a time when someone took a role at a startup, they've never worked at a startup, but they wanted the title and the salary. And then a year later, they're like, yeah, I don't like working at a startup. And they go back into <laughs> you know, working for series B, series C company. And now that person leaves and that year of work is gone because it's living in their yeah. head. So I think to your point, totally. like I, at two different startups I've worked at, I've seen that happen within eight months. Somebody was just like, yeah, I'd love to go work at a startup environment. You know, they say that in the interview, I'm, I'm done with the enterprise company. And then they work at a startup and six to eight months later, they're out the door. And it's like, well, where is everything that person built and worked on and workflows and processes and it's not documenting where it's just stuff everybody knew this is how we do it. And it's like, but where is like yeah. the guide on it? I'm trying to learn that because now it's my role to take on part of that job because that person left it in the interim I'm helping. So it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't just help the people around you. It'll help you as well as a founder if you have to take on some workload right. in the interim if somebody leaves. So I know that's a scenario Absolutely. a lot of people have dealt with <laughs> people 100%. leaving and you're like, 100%. what do I do? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I like this. All right. This third, this third core mistake. I like it. Cause I've never really, I, I've never really heard about this concept. So I wanted yeah. to dig into that. You said 
the core, the third core mistake could be managing ideation versus execution. So let's dive into that a little bit more. What do you mean by that? What does it look like? And then what's some, what's some insight you can give us there? Yeah. And I like totally made up ideation versus execution on the fly. So, um, but the, the concept of what I'm talking about is just that. So um, I'll give it a, I'm going to share a little bit of a story. So um, when I was in my COO role, I came into the organization and I loved the CEO, young, tenacious, creative, visionary, tons of ideas all the time on how we can grow and pivot and change as an organization to hit our revenue goals. And as a COO and a first time COO, right, I usually was like all gas pedal. So, oh, we want to do this. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. But as someone that took that hat off and was required to slow the organization down to actually be able to execute upon the strategies we were putting in place, I realized like, oh, my gosh, I've been driving my operational partners crazy for years with all these ideas. And so um, what we found is we actually we actually found the book Traction and was reading EOS. I don't know if anyone, this is actually very relevant for small businesses. So the book's Traction, it is the executive operating system. It's really great for organizations from zero to 25 million, um, even up to 100 million. But they have a concept in that book that talks a lot about who is the visionary and who is the integrator. Right. And the visionary is generally the founder CEO and they are ideas and um, culture and face. And um, they're generally the ones in an executive meeting that are like, hey, I know we're doing this and these are our KPIs, but like, have we thought about this? And I think we need to go chase this new thing because I heard it on this podcast or I read this article and they're they're deviating the team into a lot of different areas all over the company. And ideation is good, right? Like new ideas and new channels and new experiences are what make companies continue to grow but not at the expense of execution. And so if we go back to this visionary and integrator, the integrator's job or the COO or someone else in the organization's job is to say, hey, that's a great idea. Let's write that down. Do you think that it takes over the priority of anything we have on this list? Let's look at the list. Does something else drop off? Or do we put this on the back burner, execute this first and then implement this in? And so what happens though, is, and what I've seen is with really early stage companies and founders, they're generally the only executive and no one is comfortable pushing back, right? Because this is their baby. This is their company. They're the ones at risk for this money. And so anytime they say jump or let's go blue instead of red, or have we tried this gizmo or do we need this feature? Let's do it. Everyone just says, okay. And so what happens then is nothing ever really gets done, right? Like there's a hundred things, there's a hundred stuff, there's like different ideas going on, but you never really fully execute on execute upon something so that you can test it and pilot and then or pivot from it before you move on to the next. And I, I that's what I mean when I say like ideation versus execution. Yes, ideate. But someone, so founders, I would encourage you um, to assign someone on your team and give them permission to say, yes, but, right? Um, at what cost? And so, uh, so yeah, I, I see this happen all the time and it's very rarely recognized until it's a little too late. Or 
counterpoint, they get a lot of stuff done for an initiative that is only around for a month and then it fizzles out because nothing happened. <laughs> so it's like, oh my gosh, now we just ran crazy with all these ideas that come up and nobody said, maybe we shouldn't do that. Like, yeah. let's wait before yeah. we press the big red button, you know? Yeah, well, it's or it's ideation without true strategy or like what does good look like? So, hey, we're going to do this. Let's all run towards this. But if everyone's like, hey, it's going to take us six months, does that call out? What does early success indicators look like? What is long-term success? How long do we stay on this? When do we call it? Like all of those things are not going to be called out initially unless someone steps up and promotes it right in the beginning before everyone starts running. Because if you're doing it halfway in, it's too late. If I'm a founder and I'm listening, who is that person that I nominate? Who is my yes, but person? Uh, is it, is it, is, are, is it my VPs and department heads? Is there a specific trait of someone I look at to kind of be the, my source, uh, you know, my gut check, so to speak, who, who do you typically yeah. pick or what people do you pick? Yeah. So if, if you read the book, so the, the book talks, there's a whole like second book about these two roles. Um, it's called rocket fuel, but these two roles, they really define, it's less about the title and more about that person's skill set. There has to be complete trust between the two. And that founder CEO needs to look at this person as almost a peer behind closed doors because they are allowing that person to manage them. And let's be real, people become founders because they don't want to be managed, <laughs> right? So they are allowing that person to have that relationship with them. And so um, so it's that. They're generally pretty detail-oriented, or at least can be. They're highly organized, and they're really good at holding others accountable with no fear of conflict. So um, because they're doing the accountability management of the business so that that visionary can continue to ideate and come up with great growth ideas, they are managing the operational side of the organization. So if you're early and let's say you're even just 1 million um, or getting to your first 1 million, maybe you have someone in that's your finance person and you trust them and you know they're really good at it, let them be it. Maybe it's two founders and one says, I'm better at this and I'm better at this. Um, but there's tons to read. Um, if you just look up like EOS or visionary versus integrator, there's personality tests. There's all this stuff that like would show you which that you are. There's even circumstances where the founder themselves is actually more of an integrator and someone else in the organization, maybe their head of revenue or the other person is a better visionary and they kind of switch roles. So they're really like a team. Um, so even if you don't adopt that method or strategy, it's interesting to just remember or, or important just to remember that you've got to self-manage if you're not going to allow someone else to, or things could get a little all over the place. And from a change management perspective, employees get burnt out really quickly on when, when strategy continually changes without purpose. Um, if you can provide data on why, it's a lot easier for people to get on board, but often the data is not clear. Mm -hmm. And if and when all else fails, you could always bring in Hatchet and get a team of advisors who are outside of your company that can give you that gut check. <laughs> yeah. Shameless, sure. uh, shameless self-plug. Um, I love that plug. Well, 
Stephanie, this has been very insightful. I really appreciate your time. As we close out the episode, I actually want to do something fun. Um, when people have incredibly uh, aesthetically pleasing backgrounds like you have, if for those of you that are just listening, she's got the whole works here. Um, I always like to ask, what's what's your favorite item behind you on the shelf there? Oh, or what's I the story? Give me the story behind one of them. So, um, so the plant died. The plant died. So this is, um, this was given to me, uh, by someone I mentored. I met him through pavilion. His name is Tim Foley. So Tim Foley, if you end up seeing this, so back when I was at Lothwell as a COO, um, Tim came to me, he was, he was at a company, he was struggling with a couple of things and we had this amazing mentorship relationship and I had helped him through something that was, was challenging. And all of a sudden I got a gift in the mail and it was this little planter and he, he had a succulent, but I'm not great with plants. So, um, he died, but, um, but this is Christopher. So he named him. So this is Christopher the planter. And um, so anytime I get on the phone or I touch base with Tim Foley, I say, hey, Christopher's doing fine, but the plant in his back is not. <laughs> and for those of you just listening, Christopher is a um, is a unicorn, uh, a unicorn uh, with, a, with a plant in its back. The plant is not doing well, but Christopher looks Christopher looks like he's in good condition. <laughs> that's adorable, though. I love that. That's that's so cute. <laughs> oh, a little unicorn planter. That's awesome. Well, Stephanie, this is this has been very uh, very educational and very fun. If people want to engage with you further, I'm assuming LinkedIn is a great way to do so. Any other plugs you want to give? Yeah, LinkedIn, totally um, across the board. I, I try to be pretty active um, on there in messages. If you're in the Pavilion community, you can always Slack me directly. Um, outside of that, I'll do a shameless plug. If you ever need growth help on HubSpot or Clavio, I can help you there too. Awesome. Uh, for those of you that are interested in engaging with the Founders Formula podcast, Hatchet Ventures, or myself further, we will have links in the show description to our LinkedIn pages, our website, as well as uh, Stephanie's LinkedIn. If you want to get in touch with her, we release new episodes every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern. Um, and this is probably the first time in two months I've gotten that part of the podcast closing right because with two podcasts, they both publish on different days. So I always got to remember the intro is always a gamble too. the intro is always a gamble. I'm like, here we go. OK, I got the right intro. Um, but no, we really appreciate everybody listening. Uh, please give us a like, subscribe, comment, whatever they're asking you on your favorite podcast platforms. It helps us keep the show going and continue spreading these founder insights. That's all we have for today's episode. Stephanie, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, Chad.